to the latest episode of the podcast series, I Wish I Knew What I Know Now, Conversations with AGG on FDA Issues. Every month or so, we'll release a new podcast featuring AGG colleagues who will discuss challenges they have encountered when assisting clients with FDA-related business and legal issues. We've already published a couple of podcasts, and you can find those on our website. But today's podcast is Pandemic Marketing 101, Do's and Don'ts to Market Your Brands, Products, and Services Safely. First, a little bit about me. My name is Anuj Desai. I'm a partner in AGG's intellectual property team. I have a hybrid practice working on both litigation and transactional matters. Often, I work with my colleagues on the FDA team when there are overlapping issues under FTC regulations or the Lanham Act, for example. I've had the pleasure of working on a variety of projects involving pharmaceuticals, medical devices, nutritional supplements, and so on. I enjoy counseling clients in this area as they are always innovating. It's a very creative space. One of the colleagues I work with regularly is on the podcast with me today, Carolina Wirth who is of counsel in our firm's food and drug practice. Carolina's experience as regulatory counsel in CEDAR's Office of Regulatory Policy at FDA, and also as an in-house lawyer at a biotech company. Now at AGG, she provides clients with FDA regulatory guidance related to food, dietary supplements, drugs, cosmetics, and medical device products. Okay, so back to the podcast. A little context before we dive in. As I'm sure you've seen, the COVID-19 pandemic has borne an industry of brands, products, and services that seek to meet the needs of consumers impacted by the virus outbreak. We all see hand sanitizer brands popping up left and right, but there's a lot more. Some are new companies hustling to take advantage of the situation. But by and large, we have legitimate and often long-standing businesses looking to serve needs of the marketplace. With this burgeoning industry, however, also comes an increase in false and misleading advertising that hurts consumers and that could shutter promising brands. Now, some of that is intentional. We have some bad actors, but a lot of it is also inadvertent. Businesses just don't know that they're doing something wrong and running afoul of the law. So with that background today, we'll talk about the Federal Trade Commission, FTC, and Food and Drug Administrations, that's FDA, roles of protecting consumers at the height of this public health crisis. Carolina and I will also discuss the types of advertising and legal compliance issues that have surfaced in the past several months and provide a recap of some agency actions that are worth noting. Our goal in this podcast is to help you, businesses, understand what you can do to avoid the same mistakes. So with all that, let's get started. Uh, Carolina, let me ask you a question to kick this off. How does FDA's jurisdiction come into play as it relates to advertising? Hi, Anish. Um, 
Thanks for, for doing this with me today. I think it's very timely, uh, given where we are in the pandemic and the continued need for a lot of the products that we have right now in the market, including hand sanitizer and personal protection equipment, which has been uh, key here with masks. So FDA, it's a FDA authority over advertising. Um, it's kind of an interest. It comes from labeling. So under the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act, um, FDA only really has authority to regulate labeling. And labeling has a very specific definition to be, uh, is really defined as old labels and other written, printed, or graphic matter that is on an article, aka a product, or any of its containers or wrappers, um, and that accompanies such article. However, while the definition seems pretty uh, specific, FDA has uh, interpreted to be fairly broad. So when we're looking at um, labeling, FDA is also going to look at your marketing materials, printed ads, um, they're going to look at your Facebook posts, and all that would encompass labeling. So if you are um, making claims on your advertising, that your product that FDA finds objectionable, those would be considered labeling as well. And one interesting um, example of that is in the, as you mentioned, hand sanitizer is a prop, is a very big um, thing these days where all of us using it on a daily basis, pretty much. And with the hand sanitizer, there was a company of a well-known brand uh, that had a perfectly seemingly okay label um, on the box and the products were meeting the monograph on that perspective as an over-the-counter drug. But when it came to their advertising and the materials on their website, um, they were making claims that put them outside of what they can say for their product. So when you're thinking of your labeling, um, you also have to make sure that your advertising uh, and other materials um, are compliant. And, and with that in mind, uh, Anush, enter it back to you. Um, what is FTC's role um, during a pandemic when it comes to advertising? Sure. So at its core, FTC is a federal agency that protects consumers by stopping unfair, deceptive, or fraudulent practices in the marketplace. It has national oversight. They conduct investigations, even sue companies and people that violate the law. They also actively develop rules to ensure a fair marketplace and educate consumers and businesses about their rights and responsibilities. So when the pandemic started and the nation started grinding to a halt, FTC actually shifted into high gear to fulfill its mandate to protect consumers and maintain a fair marketplace. In March, Federal Trade Commission Chairman Joe Simons issued a statement Uh, in which he noted that we will not tolerate businesses seeking to take advantage of consumers' concerns and fears regarding coronavirus disease, exigent circumstances, or financial distress. But like any government agency, FTC has limited resources. So what they were able to do is redirect their scarce resources and investigators, who at that point became all remote workers, They first set up a webpage on the FTC website dedicated to this effort. And if you go there, and it's pretty easy to find if you go to ftc.gov, but if you go there, there's guidance for consumers and businesses, especially on avoiding COVID-19 related scams. And they also regularly publish data on what consumers are complaining about, 
which by the way, you should check out because it's a great lessons learned resource for businesses. Uh, but most importantly, and what we'll talk about some more in a moment, FTC started investigating in the marketplace. Um, as the marketplace became flooded with pandemic-related goods and services, they took action. They read consumer complaints, they did their own analysis, and they started taking uh, enforcement action. And it's this type of action that FTC is best known for, what you read about in the news. Uh, and it goes a long way to create a safe and fair marketplace. Um, but before I go further on that point, let me ask you a similar question on the FDA side. Can you provide some examples of the types of products that FDA has taken enforcement action against during the pandemic? Sure, um, and, and like you said, um, on the FDA side, uh, they also have a dedicated team uh, to keep fraudulent products off the market. They conduct surveillance on a regular basis as well. Um, and in this case, with FDA, surveillance started as early as January when there were some initial comments um, about viruses coming up in the, in the news. And literally by February of this year, um, FDA was set up in a group uh, with all the centers pretty much um, to look at what was going on in the marketplace um, as things started picking up with coronavirus. Well, the drug center alone has issued over 80 um, warning letters. A lot of them joined uh, with the FTC and uh, is covered quite the gamut of products, really, as we have mentioned, um, anything from hand sanitizers coming from other countries um, to colloidal silver products to CBD, copper, uh, interestingly enough, honey products um, and even botanical oils um, have been the source of enforcement actions. And they've issued also over 10 warning letters to internet pharmacies that are selling products claiming to do um, various kinds of things as treat and prevent COVID-19, for which uh, we know they are there are no cures um, have been approved by FDA. But some of the interesting examples um, that I wanted to point out um, that may be helpful, uh, one of them was a warning letter against a company that was selling an antimicrobial product. This product, you can spray it on your face and it's supposed to help you um, protect against coronavirus. And this company was making claims such as um, that they had independent third-party laboratory studies to show um, that the, their product killed the virus within 60 seconds. And interestingly enough, and I, I'm sure you'll touch a little bit on that later, but they also had testimonials of people saying how, um, how great the product was um, and how they feel safe on putting it on their faces and on their children's faces um, uh, once they were outside to avoid um, coronavirus. Another interesting example um, from the last month or so was a dietary supplement, um, which we know in the height of any call and flu season, uh, we have quite a bit of supplements that are taunting their, their ability to help you with immunity. And, um, you know, in the case of coronavirus, uh, we've seen a ton of products that have been um, claiming to help with that. And this was a honey-based product um, that the company was selling and saying that they had evidence that honey and bee products could protect you against COVID-19. They also had an elderberry honey syrup 
which could help you maintain immunity, which is an interesting claim because um, on its face, it looks like something that a dietary supplement could say. However, in the world of hashtags that we live in, um, the company also had things such as hashtag coronavirus, hashtag antivirus, um, as far as the Facebook marketing materials. As I said, the hand sanitizer at the beginning was a well-known brand, and that happened very early before hand sanitizers became real a real thing in the pandemic. You know, a lot of these enforcement actions, FDA has seen that people are, um, as you said, sometimes unaware that they're saying things that they shouldn't say. They think, well, my label looks pretty clean. I don't have anything on my label. But then you go to their website and there, there's more statements and things that FDA has taken issue with. Um, and I, FDA had noted in a presentation recently that they had about 85% compliance when they sent people warning letters in this space. Now, throwing it back to you a little bit more, Anush, is there anything else that companies should be keeping in mind from an FTC perspective and in terms of enforcement actions? Yeah, yeah. I mean, let me talk a little bit about two of the things you mentioned. So customer testimonials. I mean, nobody buys anything today, it seems, without looking up reviews. And companies know this. It's a whole, probably a whole nother podcast we can do on when you can put up a testimonial, when you can back it up. Um, But sure enough, we've seen companies take advantage of this and put up false testimonials. Um, And also hashtags. A lot of companies think, hey, we're just trending if we put in a hashtag on our social posts. But depending on the context, that could look like a claim, a claim for which you need substantiation. So, you know, if you're looking to write down practical pointers from this podcast, keep those in mind that those will need substantiation and you shouldn't just willy-nilly throw up testimonials and hashtags. Um, But let's talk a little bit about what FTC has done. So right off the bat in March, uh, FTC, just like FDA, started sending out warning letters to companies falsely advertising products. Um, And that's the first step FTC takes before escalating enforcement. Uh, We've seen the letters. The companies were promoting teas, essential oils, uh, colloidal silver, as you mentioned, all able to treat or prevent coronavirus. Uh, And according to FDA, there are no approved vaccines, drugs, or investigational products at that time to treat or prevent the virus. So in the letters, the FTC pointed out that one or more of the efficacy claims made by the marketers were unsubstantiated and therefore may violate the FTC Act. And the letters advise the recipients to immediately cease making claims that their products can treat or cure the virus. And that's a key point for businesses. If you're going to make a claim about your product, you need to have solid, verifiable data to back it up. If you don't have that, you shouldn't make the claim. The letters had a 48-hour fuse for the companies to respond and tell FTC what remedial measures they were taking. And FTC made it clear that it retained the option to seek a court injunction and the remedy of consumer refunds and fines if necessary. So since then, FTC has uh, sent out hundreds more such warning letters uh, and to a wide variety of life science companies. And with some of these, we're truly seeing some bizarre claims. Um, There was a sonic silicone facial brush uh, marketed as able to fight off the virus, uh, an IV drip product 
that supposedly you're going to hook yourself up to and create an immunity boost to fight off COVID-19. Even ozone therapy, acupuncture, and stem cell therapy, all that beats the virus. Everyone is trying to cash in, I think, on the consumer's fears, and the FTC is calling them out on it. So what happens if the false claims continue? In more egregious cases, FTC has escalated things. For example, it filed suit against a company which touted a $37 bottle of an antiviral wellness booster as one that treats, prevents, or even reduces the risk of COVID-19. By the way, this same company also claimed its CBD products cure cancer. Wow. Um, so what did it do? The company agreed finally to an order to stop the false advertising and it had to write to consumers and retailers to retract its claims. FTC is also looking at treatment services, treatment claims, uh, and those are under scrutiny. So it recently sued a California-based business that deceptively advertised a $23,000 treatment plan as a scientifically proven way to treat COVID-19. The company ignored the FTC's warning letter and now it's suffering the consequences. So one pretty simple takeaway here is, let's say you do mess up. If you hear from FTC or another government agency, do consult with counsel and respond. Don't ignore it. Uh, the main takeaway, of course, though, is that your claims and advertising need to be truthful and not misleading. I think I'll stop there before talking about some of the other things companies need to keep in mind. Um, but it's, you know, gives you a good idea of where we are on enforcement with FTC. But let's switch again to the FDA side. Is there anything unique about the warning letters that have been issued during the pandemic, Carolina? Yes, as, as you pointed out, these, these warning letters only gave companies 48 hours to respond. Uh, typically, when you get an FDA warning letter, you have 15 days to respond. Um, in these cases, FDA is giving people 48 hours to clean up the website, to take down claims, um, to fix the marketing, or just to stop selling the product altogether. So, so that's a, a new thing, which um, FDA made a comment and I, at a conference that maybe they will try to go back and have some lessons learned uh, from this uh, for future reference as to maybe how much time they give companies to respond. So we'll see how that plays out after the pandemic is over. FDA has, has also taken a few actions, um, and one of those was where a company was selling this uh, a product called Miracle Mineral Solution, which is actually a chloride dioxide product um, that was a very powerful bleaching agent. Um, and as people have ignored the FTC, so they have uh, ignored the FDA or refused to um, take action after FDA has told them that they shouldn't be marketing this product. And this company refused to do anything about it. They were telling people to drink it several times a day. And it can cause an array of issues, um, uh, pretty dangerous to public health. So FDA, in consultation with DOJ, obtained a, actually an injective relief to stop the company. And that, that litigation is still ongoing. So it's definitely, like you said, when somebody from a federal agency calls, you, you want to respond. Um, and, you know, as I said, FDA had 85% compliance. So they are definitely working with companies. Um, another interesting thing that the device 
center has done aside from these warning letters is um, cease and desist emails. Apparently they have uh, made phone calls as well. So they've had over 200 of these emails and phone calls, which is not something that the agency typically does. So um, don't ignore your email if, uh, if you get an email from somebody saying it's an FDA inspector. Of course, you should be leery of the um, whether that's true or not, um, but at least you should investigate before you dismiss uh, an email or a phone call from somebody telling you that they're calling from the FDA or maybe even the FTC. So with that, Anush, is there anything else we should be keeping in mind or companies should be aware of from the FTC perspective during the pandemic? Yeah, um, you know, businesses also need to think about collateral claims that they're making about their product. I'll give you a great example. One of the things we're seeing more of during the pandemic is competition on the basis of a promise of getting crucial products to consumers fast. But you have to be careful. We all know that shipping anything these days is a toss-up. So, for example, in a recent federal court lawsuit against a company and its owner, FTC alleged that the company sought to capitalize on the soaring demand for PPE products uh, from consumers worried about being exposed to the virus. Beginning in March, this company and on its website said that it had PPE in stock and it had the slogan, pay today, ships tomorrow. But according to FTC, it frequently took weeks to ship the PPE merchandise that the customers ordered. The FTC said it would not tolerate this type of unscrupulous behavior There was also a related criminal proceeding filed against the owner for price gouging. So FTC later brought uh, another lawsuit as well against three other online sellers, all for similar reasons. So businesses need to be careful. You could inadvertently violate FTC's mail order rule, which requires that companies advertising that they ship merchandise within a certain time frame have a reasonable basis for the promised time frame. If you know you can't supply your life science products in a timely way, for whatever reason, logistics or otherwise, change your claims. While mistakes here and there are tolerated, if FTC sees a pattern of improper behavior, it will act. Another trend that we're seeing is companies are trying to advertise around the fact that COVID-19 spread from China. There's a general distrust for goods coming from China, and it has been that way for some months. Even if the science reflects that it is unlikely you will contract the virus from imported goods. So we're seeing a lot of made in USA claims being emphasized. Companies are trying to differentiate themselves and show their products to be safe. But companies need to remember that there are detailed rules and nuances to substantiate these made in USA claims. Now, it's beyond this podcast to go into all that, but keep it in mind as you review your labels and marketing collateral. Even well-known companies have violated the standard and have had to pay a hefty sum to settle, fit, to settle FTC actions when warning letters were ignored. And I'm, I'm talking about $1 million settlements, so it's not something to, to ignore. Um, finally, uh, I think a key point is Keep in mind that it's not just FTC that is watching what you do. Your competitors are keeping an eye on what you do as well, especially if your false ads are perceived to cause them 
to lose sales. So these competitors can file suit against you for false advertising, unfair competition under the Lanham Act or state law. They can also do what a lot of the national companies do, uh, which is refer your false advertising to the National Advertising Division of the Better Business Bureau, NAD for short. NAD is part of the Council of the Better Business Bureau. It is an organization that independently evaluates the truth and accuracy of national advertising, sort of a, in the form of industry self-regulation. A competitor can report another company's advertising to NAD, while a defending company does not have to participate in a NAD investigation or proceeding. Often, if it does not, and if there is good cause, NAD will refer the matter to FDC or FDA. And those agencies typically give great weight to NAD referrals. Uh, so here's an example. NAD recently referred claims pertaining to a vitamin product to FDA and FTC for claims that an elderberry immune support product uh, protects against COVID-19. And that seemed to do the trick. The company's maker has now re-engaged in the NAD process. So the key takeaway here is that there are a lot of eyeballs on what you're doing and challenges can come from government or the industry. Make sure you're thorough in your review of all labels, labeling, and other creative assets to ensure that your claims have reasonable substantiation. Experienced ad counsel will know what to look for. And for those of you working with social media and other influencers, keep in mind that ultimately the responsibility for what these influencers are saying falls on you, the brand owner. So be vigilant as to the content your influencers are putting out there. Step up your monitoring programs and certainly implement one if you don't already have it in place. If you do all these things, that's going to be the best way to manage risk and at the same time do well in this volatile pandemic market. So I'll throw one final question out to Carolina. Thinking about key takeaways on the FDA side, do you have any practical tips for clients trying to advertise during this pandemic? Thanks, Anish. I think you've covered a lot of good tips that can apply in the FDA space as well. I'll just add a couple of things. I'll be very careful about making any COVID-19 or any virus-related claims. I know flu and cold season is upon us and people want to take advantage of that. But we have to be very careful about how these claims are being put into perspective um, this year, particularly, because FDA is not just going to look and whether you expressly said that your product can cure COVID-19 or, or prevent it, but they also want to, they're going to look at your entire marketing campaign. They're going to look at what you're saying, you know, your hashtags or anything else that talks about viruses. Um, I, we generally tell clients, you know, it's, it's not worth it. Even if you're selling hand sanitizer to really make explicit statements about COVID-19, that you have conducted a study that kills, uh, that says that has killed COVID-19 uh, in a lab. So that your product has killed COVID-19 in a lab. So I would say um, steer clear from virus, specific virus claims. Um, those are tricky. Another thing, um, FDA has a, a put together a resource page with all the fraudulent products and warning letters. And if you're not sure um, about what you're doing and what your product you want to say about your product, go look, go look at to see what FDA has taken issue with. Um, you know, that could be a starting point. Of course, um, going to FDA counsel and advertising counsel is always recommended to make sure you're 
within the bounds of all the regulatory requirements. Um, but it's always good to see what others are doing in the marketplace as well and what's gotten them in trouble. So it's a, it's a good starting point. Great points, Carolina. Well, that's all we have time for in today's podcast. We hope you found this discussion informative and that you jotted down some practical tips. If you have any questions or would like to submit your feedback or topic suggestions for future podcasts in this series, please feel free to reach out to Carolina or me. You can find our contact information on our bios on agg.com. Future podcast episodes will be distributed through our monthly FDA newsletter, as well as AGG's website and social media pages. Thanks for listening and be safe out there. Bye now.